Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, the wet and wild edition of the program. Of course, with all the sogginess in Southern California and up throughout the rest of the state. And for those who are listening on KLDC, you've been dealing with snow and this, that, and the other thing. It seems like just the weird weather has uh, really been wreaking havoc on a lot of people. But we're grateful that you've tuned in today, braved the elements, and uh, have joined us today on what is a rather auspicious day. And this is a day that has uh, been uh, kind of a, a date that will live in infamy here in the United States for many, many years for those of us in the Sanctity of Life community, because this is the day, uh, January 22nd, 1973, was the day that the United States Supreme Court uh, passed by a measure of 7 to 2, uh, a decision in favor of a woman named Norma McCorvey, who had filed a lawsuit in Texas um, under the name of Jane uh, Rowe. And uh, basically, she was going for the li- basically the right to abort a child legally. And it was not legal in the United States up until that point of view. Uh, certain states had, had done something like that. But um, it was interesting to see uh, that uh, on this date, 51 years ago, uh, abortion was made legal in the United States. And as a result, probably about uh, at least 65 million children have been legally murdered in this country. And it was the uh, Dobbs versus Jackson case that uh, also uh, was uh, brought up Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled correctly, I believe, in, uh, in uh, 2022 on Jan- uh, June the 24th that the Dobbs versus Jackson case, which, which established, ironically, a, uh, a, a cutoff on abortions at 15 weeks, uh, made the left lose their mind. The vast majority of abortions happened before 15 weeks. Um, so it really wasn't going to bring abortion into play, but it did also correct uh, the Supreme Court's uh, incorrect decision on passing Roe versus Wade. And, and again, this is not anecdotal. Um, even the likes of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, rest, may she rest in peace, uh, went so far as to say that she thought the Supreme Court went too far in uh, extending uh, Roe versus Wade benefits, you know, the, the, the full opportunity to uh, for a woman to legally kill her child and it's amazing to me how many uh, people just kind of accepted that abortion was health care uh, we've talked about the national institute of health and the center for disease control and prevention the cdc as we refer to them as uh, having been complicit in this because they don't treat a human baby as a baby when it comes to pregnancy as it pertains to abortion the cdc uh, we discovered from our friends at alliance defending freedom was able to get the Plan B, uh, RU486, uh, French abortion pill, uh, legalized here in the United States in 2000 simply because they they, they decided to change the terminology so that a pregnancy would be listed as a treatable disease. It's it's mind-boggling to think. And that RU486 was the treatment for a treatable disease. And I know that sounds crazy, but the reality is it's true. Now, for many people, so Alliance Defending Freedom has been fighting the CDC and the National Institute of Health ever since then to try to get that ruling reversed. And can you imagine what would happen? The vast majority of abortions now are are what are termed medical abortions. They used to be called chemical abortions as opposed to surgical abortions. Surgical abortions we're all familiar with. Um, That's when, of course, the baby has to be not only killed with some kind of saline solution, but then surgically altered, limbs cut off, etc., um, to remove the child from the mother's womb. It's a horrible procedure. And yet that's just the way it was, you know. And, and it's very interesting because uh, I've got found an article from uh, uh, NBC in Dallas, NBCDFW.com, 
uh, taking a look at the uh, Roe versus Wade case. Uh, this was something that they actually had published back on the day that uh, Roe was overturned. And they were underscoring the fact that when it comes to Roe v. Wade, the plaintiff in the case, Jane Roe, Norma McCorvey, we know all about her. But uh, it was Henry Wade, who was the Dallas County District Attorney, who was the defendant in the case. Dallas County had a ban on abortion. Texas had a ban on abortion in 1973. And 1970, when this case was actually filed, um, Wade, so Henry Wade was the guy who basically was the bad guy as far as the abortion rights people are concerned because he was the one who was defending Texas's ban on abortion at that time. And in uh, 1973, uh, Norma McCorvey had already gone ahead and she had been pregnant in 1970. Um, there are different stories. That the NBC story says that, uh, you know, we all know that Norma McCorvey intended to abort a child, but she wound up delivering the child um, and then placing the child up for adoption. The, uh, the child was now was, was two and a half years old when the case came to light. Um, later in life, of course, Norma McCorvey was, uh, was baptized. Uh, she counseled women on uh, difficult life decisions, you know, including abortion, of course. She uh, professed her faith in Christ years later. Uh, she said that uh, uh, she kind of had a, a, a change of position in the sense that, no, she didn't necessarily think that abortion should be um, illegal, but rather she said it should be available in some cases. And so that led some people in the pro-life community to think, well, that means that Jane Roe uh, was no longer pro-life and she turned her back on her faith. Well, that's not true. Norma McCorvey, grown up, grown up in a Christian home, rededicated her life to Christ years after realizing that, you know, the, the Roe v. Wade. The ironic thing, of course, is that Norma McCorvey never got an abortion. Norma McCorvey said she wanted one, allegedly, for this case against Henry Wade, but in all honesty, she didn't, and she released the child for adoption. And this is the thing about the abortion argument that I find so insidious, is the fact that the abortion rights activists who are claiming that the pro-lifers are only pro-birth, they just want a woman to not have an abortion, they want her to be stuck with a child. We even heard a former president of the United States. I mean, this is, you can Google this quote. Barack Obama was talking about having uh, his daughter, Sasha and Malia, being of uh, middle school, high school age. And he was talking about why, you know, he spoke at a Planned Parenthood dinner the same weekend as the March for Life. And of course, by the way, the March for Life was this past Friday. 100,000 people in Washington, D.C. braving the snow and just bitter elements to sing the praises of the sanctity of human life, but also talk about what the pro-life community is doing to help women who decide to, keep that child or release that child for adoption, these are the options you have. And President Obama said, I don't want one of my daughters being punished with a pregnancy. I thought that was just a very interesting way to describe it. Because quite frankly, it shows the kind of leftist progressive mentality when it comes to abortion and sexual activity and things of that nature. We know that God intended male and female to come together as husband and wife and then enjoy a sexual relationship. And part of the benefit of that in addition to the you know the the bible uses the term we translate it in english as to know but that intimate knowledge of your partner that no one else can have because you are created literally and physically for each other part of the end result of that is you could wind up being parents i mean that that's the that's the procreation part so it's beneficial emotionally spiritually physically and oh by the way you might get a couple of kids out of it too see how creative god is no one would be punished with a pregnancy unless they were trying to just have cheap and easy sex 
and like that was the end-all be-all, but the world tells you that's the end-all be-all. If you love someone, have sex with them. Not if you love someone, you'll always want what's best for them. You know, that kind of agape love. They can turn into eros love if it's a man and a woman and you know, the feelings are right and this is what they believe God's leading them to do. But in the case of Roe versus Wade, one of the parts that people overlook when you think of January 22nd, 1973, is the fact that Norma McCorvey was used as this pawn. Later, she said, look, I never wanted an abortion, but they used me as this case. She wound up carrying the child to term, releasing the child for adoption, and went on with her life. Later became an outspoken pro-life Christian who said she was a pro-life Christian whose end position was, in the case of rape or incest, if you want to have a, that law you know, still be in place, that's, that's, I'm okay with that. But this is where the abortion lobby lies to the American people and the world in, on the whole. Preborn, for example, they would say, oh, this is unqualified, unlicensed. They can't, no, what are they talking about? Why? Because when you make a $28 donation to preborn, that $28 provides an ultrasound appointment. And a woman comes to the preborn clinic, sees the ultrasound appointment, and uh, you know, sees the picture of the child and says, wow, what are my options? And they say, I'm glad you asked, because your options are, number one, congratulations, you're a mom. Number two, in California, Colorado, you can legally abort this child. Number three, and they don't do it in that order. I did it for more dramatic effect. Number three is you can release that child for adoption just like Jane Roe did. See, even if you support Roe versus Wade and you support that type of mentality, take a look at who Jane Roe was and what she actually wound up doing. She released her child for adoption. Now, the ultimate you know, comeback would be, well, she, you know, that was the only choice she had. Yes, that was a choice, but the abortion industry has tried to move that choice off the table, and that's why our support of preborn is so important. A $28 donation will save one baby's life. A $140 donation will save the lives of five babies, and a $15,000 donation will provide an ultrasound machine that will save 250 babies' lives per year for at least 10 years. Now, I have to admit, the first couple weeks of the year here at the Bottom Line Show, the phones have been absolutely silent. We have not received a call for preborn from the bottom line in three weeks. Now, this is not to guilt. This is not to shame. This is me being transparent with you and saying, you guys have been such huge supporters of preborn over the past two years. And for some reason, during the first three weeks of this year, there's nothing. So I'm going to challenge you today here as we commemorate the 51st anniversary of what got this process going in the first place, us saying, wait a minute, we have to stand up for the sanctity of human life. Will you give a gift of $28 today in support of a woman who is having to make that same decision that Jane Roe did back in 1970 that led to the whole Roe versus Wade thing. There are so many women who are facing an unplanned pregnancy. Maybe it's a woman who's had a baby or two and now she's pregnant with the third and she's not sure she can handle that third baby and someone at church, because 54% of abortion uh, participants are actually churchgoers, said you should get an abortion. It's really easy. Take the pill. It's no big deal. That $28 will save that child's life. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. B-A-B-Y. Or go online to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Click on the preborn banner and make your best donation today. Let's make today, January 22nd, 2024, the day that the bottom line says to preborn in commemoration of the fact that we fought so hard to overturn Roe versus Wade, I'm going to give a memorial gift today. 
Thank you for doing that. Speaking of memorials and gifts, on the other side of this break, one of the little-known stories about the abortion industry is they like to say that every abortion is safe and easy and it's no big deal. But there are thousands of people who have actually survived abortions and have lived to tell the tale. One of those women is Melissa Oden. She's a fascinating case study in what it means to be a survivor in the abortion rights world. Um, she's the author of a book called You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir, where she writes a, a story, uh, basically a, a letter, an homage to her mother who attempted abortion on her, and Melissa survived a saline abortion. It's horrible, it's gruesome, and she survived it. She's the founder of the Abortion Survivors Network, and she has a brand new book out called Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. We've got a couple of these books we're going to be giving away today. On the other side of this break, you cannot miss... I'm honored, first time in 13 years, to have Melissa Oden joining me on the other side of this break to tell her remarkable story. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Well, today here on the Bottom Line Show, a special guest joining me, and this is a, a kind of a first for us, well, a second for us. I mean, outside of Gianna Jessen, we've never had the privilege of talking with someone who's been through what Melissa Oden has been through. But uh, today here on the Bottom Line, we're going to get into it. Uh, Melissa has a powerful testimony to share about the sanctity of human life. She's the author of a brand new book called Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. And this is a powerful book with, that features the testimony of uh, 10 or so different people who have literally survived going through the abortion process. Melissa also tells her own story in a uh, powerful book that we'll also link at the bottom line show called uh, That You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir. And uh, we're going to get into both of those uh, uh, resources as we have a topic of conversation today here with Melissa Oden. Melissa, welcome to the bottom line show. Thank you so much. Melissa Oden, in addition to being an author, a speaker, and an advocate, of course, is the founder of the Abortion Survivors Network, which is, uh, she's also an advocate for men, women, and children impacted by abortion. Uh, Melissa, I guess we have to just go right to the, the heart of the story for you. You were in your teens when you discovered uh, there was an adoption situation for you, but also the fact that uh, you had gone through a lot more than most kids who've gone through the standard adoption procedure. Tell us about how that all came about for you in terms of the area the discovery. Yeah, and I think this is what the world needs to understand. Those who are abortion survivors are not these, you know, fictional, politically driven characters, um, you know, who are produced to somehow attack reproductive rights. We are real people with real stories. Mm -hmm. And there's so much more to it than what most people understand. And so that's Sort of how my eyes were open to all of this is at the age of 14, I learned that I wasn't just an adoptee. I had survived a saline infusion abortion like Gianna mm -hmm. Jessen that you had mentioned. Mm -hmm. yeah. And 
that moment changes everything. And it's not, you know, it's not this one moment at time where you just get to take a collective breath and go, wow, you know what, my life was spared and I'm so grateful and, and there's purpose here. Yes, you experience that, but we need to be honest and acknowledge the grief and what it's like to live in a world that we do that is not kind to people like Gianna and myself. I'm talking with Melissa Odin today here on The Bottom Line, the founder of the Abortion Survivors Network. She's the author of the brand new book called Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. And we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. You, you mentioned that that uh, it's kind of eye-opening and it is really staggering to think that there are so many people in the world who I've, I've seen some progressives say things like, well, you know, those MAGA Republicans, they want you to believe that sex trafficking is real, but we all know it isn't. You know, <laughs> we shake your head and say, are you kidding me? How can you not know this? But when it comes to abortion and the, the fact that so many people still have this huge disconnect between the conception of life, the whole gestational period, and what really happens in the process of abortion. Now, you mentioned the saline-infused abortion process. Uh, the abortion industry has changed a lot over the years, hasn't mm -hmm. it? Talk, talk, talk about how they just kind of keep moving the goalposts a little bit, changing the methods, changing the techniques, but the intent is still the same, and you are living proof that what they're trying to eradicate is not just tissues, but a real human being. Absolutely. And we have to face that as a society. You know, there are people like me, and that's what the book is about, is really um, unveiling who abortion survivors are and giving them the opportunity to break their silence. But then that's that clarion call to our culture to say, OK, you can't keep saying this doesn't happen. And now that you know, is that going to make a difference or is it not? And, mm. you know, I, I have every hope that it is going to make a difference, but you're right. We have people who somehow want to say, right, this doesn't happen. This isn't a thing, or they're going to show their true colors, which is we know that it's a human life and it doesn't matter. Hmm. And that's what Gianna and I even testified to back in, I believe it was 2015. I can't even remember at this point. <laughs> we testified together when we were looking at defunding Planned Parenthood federally and, you know, essentially what happened that day is people were turning to us and, you know, wanting to turn a blind eye. And that was my question to the abortion industry there was, you know, you have perfected the very method that ensures that people like Gianna and I don't exist. Mm. And they don't argue that fact. But then a couple of weeks later, the CEO of Planned Parenthood, who testified at that time when they asked her, you know, have you ever heard of a baby surviving an abortion? And her response was no. Mm. <laughs> wow. Well, you, you would think somebody who is that wrapped up in the industry would understand <laughs> the, I mean, but at the same time, they'll remember, this is the same company, Planned Parenthood, that gave us Abby Johnson as their employee of the year. And here's Abby saying, wow, it wasn't until I actually went into the OR or the, the, the room where they're performing the abortion that I realized what I had gone through twice. You know, mm -hmm. I, it's, it's a it's an amazing, uh, just an amazing turn of events. Michelle Oden or Melissa Oden is with me today here on The Bottom Line. Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence is the brand new book. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Melissa, what kind of challenges have you faced from organizations? I hear a lot of conservative, you know, speakers will go on a college campus or will go to give a talk somewhere. And all of a sudden, here comes the left, the tolerant 
inclusive, welcoming left, I say those all in air quotes, will show up and try to shut you down. Um, what kind of, how, how has that changed over the years? Because you've been doing this for a little while now. I have been doing this for quite a while. You know, it's interesting. It's, it's ebbed and flowed. I would say I see a lot of dehumanization even after Roe versus Roe was overturned. You know, we saw about a 40% uptick in the number of survivors and families who reached out to us initially because they could mm. take a collective breath. They felt mm-hmm. like they were somehow maybe acknowledged. And then, of course, what we've seen since then is really that same language then ramping back up and it being, you know, so polarizing that it's driven by fear-based messaging, all of those things. And what that does is then set the stage for survivors and and women experiencing failed abortions or stopped abortions um, or even reverse ones, then having to go quiet. And that's what they Mm. want, right? They want us to be quiet. They don't Mm -hmm. want us to find out that there are other people like us. That's what a threat this is to the bottom line of the abortion industry. And so, you know, what we typically see is, you know, a lot of those, campuses in particular, never inviting somebody like me to speak. And if we do, right, our posters are torn down. I've seen student um, groups being shut down before they bring Mm. me in, right? Mm -hmm. They find a way like, oh, you guys didn't dot this I or cross this T. So therefore, you guys can't hold that event you had planned. Mm. Wow. That, it's very interesting to see how jot and tittle they all get when it comes to that type of thing. But Melissa Odin is telling a true story, and something tells me that they're doing everything they possibly can, them being the opponents of uh, what Melissa has to share, uh, that is basically, you know, they're, they're, they'll do anything they can to slow things down. Melissa Odin is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Melissa is the founder and uh, president of the Abortion Survivors Network. She's also the uh, author of a brand new book called Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence, and we have a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com. Uh, you know, it's interesting. One of the things you talk about, obviously, you've got stories from the book and would love to get into some of the stories too, which I think we'll do on the other side of this break. But you also include accounts of people who have worked in the abortion industry. Talk about what you're hearing from them. I mean, uh, I, I would imagine a lot of them get into this work either because they think it's somehow noble because they don't know everything about it or they really didn't fully understand it. You know, they just thought this is I, I need a job. These guys are you know, they're doing what they're doing. It's not really my business. What 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 is the typical medical personnel who comes to you and says, I need to get out of this. I just need to kind of wash my hands of the whole thing. What are they what are they saying to you guys? Absolutely. There's so much trauma involved in abortion. And I think that's what we also have to acknowledge and talk about as a culture, right? The left tries to paint this as this quick, easy fix that everybody walks away from. No, I would love for them to have to sit in my seat every single day and not only hear from survivors or women experiencing their abortions that fail. I mean, I was just, we heard from another woman just in the last 24 hours, who's about 17 weeks after having an abortion at 10 weeks. Put yourselves mm. in our shoes. Put yourselves in that woman's shoes who's shocked to find out that, oh, my gosh, right, this is a human being. And what do you mean a, abortion doesn't always work? Put, put yourself in those shoes because the folks working in the abortion industry are so traumatized. I mean, there's a higher incidence of suicide. You see significant mental health issues for all of these folks who have seen it firsthand. And what would it be like if we actually saw and experienced what they did? 
you don't mm. walk away from abortion. You know, I appreciate you sharing that, Melissa, because I think it's too easy for us to get political about it and say, well, you're working in the abortion industry, you're wrong, you know, and I know what happened. But the reality is, unless we actually talk with people like you or the people that you are writing about in your book, we don't know. And one of the best things that we can do, I believe, is to be that, you know, the, the, the ears of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the, 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 the eyes of Jesus to see where they are in this whole process and then say, OK, there's got to be some hope for these folks. Uh, Melissa Oden, founder of Abortion Survivors Network, is with me today here on The Bottom Line. Her book is called Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. And there's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Today, of course, being January 22nd, 2024, 51 years ago today, the U.S. Supreme Court made a horrible mistake and they passed Roe versus Wade uh, into law, basically, for all intents and purposes here in the U.S. Um, 65 million abortions later, there are still thousands of people who actually survived abortions. One of them is Melissa Oden. She is the founder of the Abortion Survivors Network, and she's the author of a great new book called Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. These are remarkable testimonies of people whose mothers attempted to abort them, and they survived, and now they are singing this powerful pro-life song. And goodness and thanks to God, of course. Not one, but two copies of the book we're giving away today. Crystal standing by to take your calls. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, I know I say this kind of like they used to in old time radio time. If you have a friend who hasn't heard Melissa's story yet, take this next commercial break, 90 seconds or so. Give him a call. Send him a text and say you got to listen to the bottom line for part two of Roger's conversation with Melissa Oden. Coming your way next as the bottom line continues. I can't say enough about preborn, and I'm going to keep talking about them because I love what this organization stands for. Basically, what they stand for is the truth, the truth and the science, the truth and the science and being honest about the situation that a woman is facing when she is facing an unplanned pregnancy. Did you know this is a problem within the church? 60% of the women who have abortions in the United States do so after already having given birth at least once. 54% of the women who have abortions in the United States are church-going women if not Bible-believing, born-again Christians. So what does that say? It tells me that we in the church need to do a better job of educating people as to what's really going on when a woman tests positive for pregnancy, as they say. Go to a pre-born clinic, they'll do the pregnancy test, then they will do an ultrasound. And the ultrasound technology will show you the pictures of the child in the womb, and then they'll tell you the three options, not the two that the abortion clinics. Abortion clinics say, either you're gonna be a parent that's gonna be expensive and ruin your life, just have an abortion, the third option is adoption, and Preborn recommends adoption every single time a woman comes in with an unplanned pregnancy. 85% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and have the ultrasound choose life for their baby. You can help in this effort. Make your one time donation to Preborn today. Go to kbrightradio.com and click on the Preborn banner. Melissa Oden is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. I think in the vernacular of the culture, we would say she is a rock star in the uh, fight for the sanctity of human life. I, don't you love that, Melissa? There are people who've gone to school and gotten advanced degrees and done really miraculous things. But if you've reached the pinnacle of success in modern culture, you're a rock star. Go, I, I never understood. <laughs> I never understood that. But she might actually be very musical, too. Melissa, founder of Abortion Survivors Network, has a powerful story to share about her own not only 
only surviving an abortion, but then finding out at the age of 14 that uh, she had been adopted by a, a nice couple, didn't know anything about your birth parents. And, and it's interesting, you knew about the adoption, but didn't know the, about the abortion when you were 14. Is that when, when it all kind of came together? Or when did you find out you were adopted? Yeah, you're right, Roger. So I grew up knowing I was adopted. I can't even tell you when I first learned that. That was just how I was raised, and I'm so grateful mm. for that. Um, yeah. And I can tell you that, that – and people are going to kind of figure this out in the book, right? Abortion survivors have very diverse experiences. When right. I first learned my story at 14, I was shocked to find out that babies survive abortions, and I was one of them. And, and really, I went on this decades-long journey to find out who my birth parents were. And, you know, like many survivors, I learned that there were so many twists and turns and things that I never could have imagined had happened. And, mm. you know, I'm grateful because God has just redeemed and restored so many details. I mean, mm. miracle after mm -hmm. miracle. You know, my birth mother is now a huge part of my life. My mom and dad, my adoptive parents, just met her recently for the first time. Wow. <laughs> so... Yeah, so many amazing things have happened in my life. But, you know, the reality is every survivor's experience is diverse and unique. And that's really what I detail in my story. And that's what I want our, our culture to understand. When people want to say, well, those abortion survivors, they don't exist. We need to mm -hmm. ask some clarifying questions like, who do you think an abortion survivor is? Have you ever read mm. any of their stories? Mm -hmm. Do you know how an abortion survivor comes to be, right? Because we come to be in various different ways. It might be a failed abortion like me. I was poisoned and scalded for five days, mm. and they induced delivery, believing I would be delivered dead. That was the outcome they were mm -hmm. looking for. Oh, my. And I was born alive. Mm. So abortions wow. fail, and I am here to say... Abortions fail still today. They do. And like we detailed before, it's not saline, but I am seeing both chemical abortion pills failing time mm -hmm. and time again. Those are the mm -hmm. women we are helping right now. Yeah, and it's this is such a powerful conversation to have because when you think about it, I mean, there's there's nothing like I, I I'll I'll try to draw an equivalency here. There's nothing like that moment in the story, the movie, the play, whatever it is, when the person that they thought they had gotten rid of walks in the room and says, "Remember me," you know, <laughs> and and here comes Melissa Odin, and every day you're a reminder that there was someone who was trying to kill you, someone who tried to kill you in the most vulnerable position in a, in a mother's womb, and that there are those who rather blindly are crying out saying, we need to have these laws, because if we don't have these laws, women won't have health care. And if we don't have these laws, you know, uh, they won't get education and it ruins families, et cetera, et cetera. All the different arguments, we can dismantle the arguments pretty easily, I think. But to do so oh, lovingly, yeah. that's... But one, of the things, but one of the things I love about your book, Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence, is this is a whole new way to approach somebody who is passionately pro-abortion to say, have you ever considered what happens to someone who survives this? They're not just, what do they call them, the product of conception or medical waste or whatever. These are people we're talking about here. Melissa, what has the response been? I'm sure that a lot of pro-lifers are saying, yes, this is a great book. What, what are you hearing from people who maybe have been a little more pro-choice or pro-abortion? Are they getting a chance to read this and having an impact on them? That's my hope. I mean, I would encourage 
anybody listening to buy a copy of this book and slip it to that person in your family who identifies themselves as pro-choice, right? We need to allow Mm -hmm. people the opportunity to face some different stories. And I say that because I do the same thing, right? I am willing to sit and listen and study arguments from people who don't agree with me on various different topics, mm-hmm. right? I'm not, right? I'm not living in some bubble, but I am relying on truth, the truth about humanity, and I, I'm consistent, and that's, that's what we need to do is challenge ourselves and other people. And, you know, some of the coolest feedback I get, and sometimes it's when I'm at an event, I can think of somebody about a year ago who approached me and said, man, you may not remember me, but I met you like over 10 years ago and I was pro-choice and I sat and listened to you. And then I picked up your first book and guess what? I'm not pro-choice anymore. Wow. Cool. I want more of that. Yes. Yes. And that first book, are you talking about your, your memoir? Uh, you carried me. Yes. The daughter's memoir mm-hmm. said, yes, mm-hmm. we'll put that link up at the bottom line show.com as well, because there's nothing more important, I think, than people just sharing their stories. It's not so much a question of having the apologetics right or having the politics right even, but just basically saying, this is what happened to me. I think that we see this all throughout scripture where, uh, you know, Jesus basically said, go and show the priests what happened to you. You know, stay here and tell the people how you were delivered from that legion of demons. I mean, this is, it's story driven. And I realize we're in an election year. Melissa Oden is my guest, the founder of Abortion Survivors Network and author of the brand new book called Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Got a couple minutes left. Melissa, when it becomes a political issue, you and I both know that there are people who are passionately pro-life who get super pro-political and kind of forget the spiritual part of the humanity part, it becomes, and that's why you have to vote for my candidate. What, how do we carry that same passion, but make a better argument that would transcend even beyond November of this year? Well, I think it takes our diligence on a daily basis to remember what truly matters, right? That at the end of the day, those this election cycle comes and goes and the people who are hurt by abortion every single day remain. Mm -hmm. And that's how I focus my time and my energy. And that's what I would encourage people to keep in mind is it is the daily day in and day out. See the people in your life, make sure that people are being served. Um, And, and we have to be willing to walk that out and see the big Mm -hmm. picture, big picture and Mm -hmm. little picture. Yes. Yes. Look at look at look at more than just one issue, because too often we wind up becoming the blind people who are all stationed around the elephant and telling everybody (laughs) this is how the animal looks, because this is my spot. Uh, Melissa, this is a great resource. And I I don't often come on and say buy this book, but I'm definitely saying buy this book. This is, as you mentioned, this is the kind of resource that inspires people. But it also and I mean this not in a political way, but it disarms people literally from it. It takes the ammunition out of whatever weapon they had uh, with their argument to say, look, let's put all the politicking down for a second. Let's let's not try to win the argument. Just hear these stories and listen to what these people have been through. Uh, listen to what Melissa has been through. Know that her heart is to say, hey, there are people like us who are living among you and they have a powerful story to tell. Uh, will you take the last 60 seconds of our time together and just give us that encouragement that what you have been through, God has redeemed and has restored in many cases and is even doing exceedingly abundantly far beyond what you could ever ask or imagine in your life and ministry right now. 
Oh, 100%. And that's really what this book is about, is not only, you know, allowing people to see and hear abortion survivors and women who have experienced an abortion attempt failing or they've stopped it or they've reversed it, but really this book is about really encouraging people to to look at what they've gone through in their life and know that healing themselves and then allowing healing to take place in their family is ultimately what allows greater change to happen in the world. So as you look at, around the world and you're thinking, oh my gosh, how do we even begin to tackle all of this? Realize that what we do is start with ourselves. And then we create that change in our family and we can keep moving that, that circle outward. And I believe that if God can do everything he has in my life, he will do the same in yours. I love it. I love it. Great counsel from Melissa Oden, founder of Abortion Survivors Network. The brand new book is called Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com, along with her memoir uh, called You Carried Me, a daughter's memoir about her uh, basically sharing her story about what it was like to be the one who survived the abortion. Both books highly recommended and up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Melissa, thank you for being with us today, a special, of course, a commemorative day here in uh, our culture because of what happened in 1973, 51 years ago, and now here we are today celebrating the fact that uh, it's still a political issue. It's still, it's now it's the states deciding instead of the federal government. It certainly isn't going anywhere, but your testimony makes it a lot more convincing and compelling for people who might be on the fence about abortion as to where the sanctity of life really begins. So thank you for writing this book. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, what a great and powerful conversation with Melissa Oden, the founder of Abortion Survivors Network. Melissa has an incredible story to tell. Uh, she's put together this new book called Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence, and we're giving it away today here on The Bottom Line. Of course, today, January 22nd, 2024, 51 years ago today, uh, Roe versus Wade was passed and abortion was legalized on a federal level here in the United States. Of course, with the Dobbs versus Jackson case, June 24, 2022, uh, that overturned Roe. But now it's a state's battle and it is really heating up. You've got to read these remarkable stories of these men and women who have survived abortion and uh, have taken this far beyond just a political issue. It's a sanctity of human life issue. We have not one, but two copies of this book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, not one, but two copies of Melissa Oden's book, um, Abortion Survivors. Uh, it, it's just incredible stories. They tell, uh, they break their silence and tell their story. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, the pro-life community has grown and expanded so many different facets of human life, not just telling women who are pregnant to keep their children. On the other side of this break, uh, award-winning journalist John Strage is going to join me. Now, I, I could be talking to John about football. He's written a great new devotional book called In the Big Inning about all these great testimonies of men and women of Christian faith. And we will probably talk a little, uh, you know, Jim Kelly and the Buffalo Bills because of that crazy game that happened uh, yesterday in uh, Buffalo. But on the other side of this break, what you may not know about John is that John and his wife Marlene are also adoptive parents, and the child they adopted was the first frozen embryo that was scheduled for basically extinction because of uh, you know federal laws that would say you could take the embryo, pull the embryonic stem cells out, and destroy the baby. Uh, they adopted 
the first frozen embryo, uh, who was then implanted into Marlene's womb, and the baby grew and is now 25 years old. Hannah, their daughter, um, has a master's degree in social work from Baylor University. John's going to join me on the other side of this break to talk about a book he wrote about their, his and Marlene's journey with Hannah called The Snowflake Called Hannah. That's coming up on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. John Strakey is my guest today here on The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. John spent many years as a writer for Golf Digest. He was the beat reporter for the Orange County Register. Uh, and he actually, I'm, I'm most proud of the uh, accolades that he earned while working as a stringer for the Whittier Daily News. Um, because that was my hometown paper when I was growing up. And uh, uh, John was that kid who went out and covered, you know, got the sports score and phoned it in and put a little report. You're in good company with that, John Strakey. Um, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show, by the way, first. Thank you very much. The good company, of course, I, we might have talked about this before, but that's how Jerry Jenkins got started, from what I understand. Was, uh, I know that. Yeah, yeah. He, he was a kind of a sports geek, and he would sit there and kind of create his own little articles, like if he were the reporter or whatever, and he eventually sent some of them to the local paper, and they wound up hiring him, and and his, he's had a pretty good career. So, I mean, uh, yeah. it, you know, the, the, the sports stringers, you got to watch out for them. They're, they're, they're important people. In addition, John is the author of the brand new book called In the Big Inning. Uh, it's a, a wonderful account of where faith meets sports and a Christian sports writer's perspective. But in addition to that, John Strege and his wife Marlene are noteworthy in that you guys did something that no one had ever done before with regard to the sanctity of human life. You and your wife Marlene had been married for a number of years, had wrestled with whether or not God was going to bless you with a child. And when it became apparent that adoption may be the best option, you guys took a slightly different approach than what was the conventional wisdom of the day. John, kind of pick us up to speed from there. Yeah, it was. we were having infertility issues, as a lot of couples do. And it turned out my wife had premature ovarian failure. So we weren't going to conceive. And obviously, we're devastated when we get this from the doctor and Marlene, we hadn't even talked about this. She says, do you have any em frozen embryos we can adopt? Now, what year was this, and John? It's a question. I was going to say, what year was this? This is probably 1997. Okay. Okay. So, and, and frozen embryos were just uh, coming into the news. It became big news that they just wanted to use them for embryonic stem cell research, which would kill the embryos, but mm -hmm. it was starting in the news she threw that question out um he says well i have a lot of frozen embryos that, you know we wanted to do it see if it was uh, acceptable in the eyes of the lord to adopt right. frozen that's so we consulted with pastors we consulted with dr dobson who got back to i mean just getting through to dr dobson in those days it was difficult you know because right. there were so many layers because he had so many letters but that one got through. We think that's a God thing. And Amen. he got back to Marlene a week later and says, the reason I'm, it took so long to get back to you, I had to do my own research and talk to my own people. And he says, we do think this would be acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. You know, if the original couples aren't going back for the remaining frozen embryos, then they should be placed for adoption. And so we took it from there with, uh, through an adoption agency. Um, and it resulted in our daughter, Hannah, being the first adopted frozen embryo born in, um, December 31st, 1998. Now, now think 25 about five years old. Yeah. And a college graduate with a master's degree. Just, I mean, 
He went to undergrad undergraduate degree from Biola and then her master's degree from Baylor University in, in social work. So mm -hmm. love it. Love it. And I, I mean, there's been so many babies been born through embryo adoption since, but uh, we were the first. And again, all we wanted was, you know, we wanted to have a baby and um, the good Lord took it from there. Yeah. Uh, John Strage is with me today here on the bottom line. His daughter, Hannah, was the first frozen embryo to ever be adopted. And uh, they've written about it in a book that John, uh, being a sports writer and a great writer, a man of words as well, a snowflake called Hannah, which we've got a link for up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, John, it, it's an interesting process when you think about it. I don't want to rush through this because it took me a while to understand exactly what was going on. I thought, oh, cool. I mean, I've known a couple of kids who you know, are snowflake babies, as we refer to them. A friend of mine from church is an attorney, uh, also served as the uh, president of a local snowflake adoption chapter for a couple of years. So I was familiar with the concept. But when I met you and Marlene and Hannah uh, a few years ago, I think in Nashville, and we were having a conversation about the book, what our listeners have to understand is first, there were literally thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of frozen embryos where people were trying to do in vitro fertilization and implant the embryos and see which ones would you know take. And they were just kind of left over. And the scientific community, as I, from what I understand it, wanted to try to play mad scientist with these frozen embryos, get the embryonic stem cells, and then basically kill the child, use the stem cells for research. And I heard you and Marlene share this on the recent edition of uh, Dr. Dobson's Family Talk, where to this day, 26 years plus later, the number of successful uses of the embryonic stem cells for Parkinson's, Alzheimer's is exactly zero. But, yeah, they're not but, even trying. Yeah, but adults, yeah, but adult stem cells are, have, are having tremendous success. Right. Now, 25 years ago, I remember yes. George W. Bush, I was sitting in the parking lot, Costco in Fullerton, worked at Ambassador Advertising, and there was a press conference where President Bush, a couple months before 9-11, we didn't know it was going to happen, um, actually announced they were going to stop federal funding for embryonic stem cell research on these frozen embryos. And the, the left was, you know, weeping and gnashing teeth and tearing their clothes and sackcloth and ashes because they saw this as they kept saying, this is going to be the end all be all. But Sean, as you mentioned right now, that whole line of scientific research has basically ended. No one's doing it anymore. Yes. Yeah, correct. Is but it, there are it, but there are still hundreds of thousands of frozen embryos waiting for adoption. Yeah, and we want to emphasize um, we're trying to solve a problem here because all these frozen embryos we, uh, and get as many of them as you know give them a chance of, at life is uh, you know get them adopted. Mm -hmm. we, we're, we're not encouraging um, people creating more embryos and leaving more in frozen store. We're trying to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. And there's several agencies now across the country that are doing embryo adoption, and that's a good thing. When you and Marlene, though, started out, there was nothing. I mean, when you think about people nothing. at an adoption agency and when we talk about, well, I've got a lot of friends who are adopted, you never think about the legal side. You have to get an attorney. You have to figure out, you know, the child's parenting. Right. And the, the, I mean, there, there's a lot of paperwork that has to get squared away. And that's why these pregnancy resource centers who refer people for adoption, uh, if they take a woman who decides that she can't keep the child, but she'd like to release that child for adoption, you need lawyers. There's a whole bunch of legal stuff that goes on. And that's where our friends like a preborn do such a great job of helping steer you through that 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 maze but when you and marlene made the decision to adopt a frozen embryo i'm sure they said well wait how do we do that 
You you guys literally yeah, had to help write the legislation to get that passed. Yeah, there was so many pieces to the puzzle that fell into place. We knew that Ron Stoddard was our adoption attorney. Both Marlene and I had known him and his family from way back from a church in Whittier. Um, and when, Mar when we met with him and Marlene proposed to him, you know, can we adopt? He, we told him we want to adopt. So we met him at a local restaurant and he ran through international adoption, you know, domestic adoption. And Marlene says, well, can we adopt embryos, frozen embryos? And Ron, to his credit, didn't even flinch. Hmm. He says, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we can. I'm aware of the problem. And he took the ball and ran with it. But I want to make the point, too. I think, I, you know, I see God's hand in this from the very beginning, because when we did this, we didn't know about embryonic stem cell research. It came out just right after that. And it, it's almost like, Lord, we needed, you know, human face to put to this issue that these, you know, these, we shouldn't do research on. These are people. And yes. I mean, it, the timing was impeccable. And it just, it looks to me like the Lord was working with us in this. Mm -hmm. Fascinating conversation with John Strege today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called A Snowflake Called Hannah. Uh, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a book, a copy of the book we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. More of this great conversation coming up as The Bottom Line continues. Call personal injury attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law first after an accident. Friends or family might tell you to get in touch with the insurance company for the party at fault first, but this is wrong. Stephanie knows countless myths that surround personal injury law, and she will help you separate fact from fiction. Stephanie worked directly for insurance companies for decades, and she knows how to navigate the process. You may wonder if your injury is too minor to warrant an attorney representing you. Stephanie can help you figure that part out with a free call, and she will tell you honestly if she thinks it's worth pursuing. Sometimes injured people are concerned about going to trial, but Stephanie prides herself on her ability to stay out of a courtroom because it typically means that she can maximize the amount you will actually receive. Don't make these decisions on your own. Contact Stephanie Cover at kbrightradio.com slash cover. That's C-O-V-E-R. John Strakey is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. And if you grew up reading the sports section in the Orange County Register, you know that name. John and his brother David worked there. Uh, John went on to Golf Digest and had a storied career there. He's in semi-retirement now with Golf Digest. But one of the books he's written, he's written two New York Times best-selling books about Tiger Woods. Uh, but the book we're talking about today is perfect for January 22nd, 2024. This is the... Uh, the day that uh, Roe versus Wade was passed 51 years ago. And um, it's a day that Americans commemorate as the day that abortion became legal in the U.S. John and his wife, Marlene, have a whole different take on the sanctity of human life, especially as it pertains to their daughter, Hannah. Hannah was the first ever frozen embryo to be implanted into a woman's womb. It was not her uh, biological mother. Uh, they adopted the embryo that became Hannah and now are telling the story. It's an incredible pro-life story, perfect for Roe v. Wade Day. Uh, John's book called A Snowflake Called Hannah is up at thebottomlineshow.com and we do have a copy of this book that we're giving away today at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We're also giving away not one but two copies of Melissa Odin's outstanding book, Melissa, the founder of the Abortion Survivors Network. For those who say abortion is easy and safe and clean and it's no muss, no fuss, it's just like taking a couple of you know Advil and your pregnancy disappears. Melissa knows what it's like. Her mother went for a, a, what they call, used to call the saline abortion where they would inject the, the womb with saline and basically kill the child and then deliver a you know, stillborn baby. And Melissa survived and founded the Abortion Survivors Network. She's written a book called Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. We have not one, but two copies of this book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, you've got Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, the conclusion of my conversation with John Strege about his uh, remarkable book about his daughter Hannah being the first frozen embryo, they had to set up all the legal stuff, get her adopted, then implanted into her mother's womb. So Marlene is now the woman who delivered her, but also her legally her adoptive mother. And uh, what does that mean for us in the Sanctity of Human Life crowd uh, to be more than just pro-birth? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. John Strege is with me today. You agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially knowing Hannah. Absolutely. Uh, John Strege is my guest. He and his wife, Marlene, are the first adoptive parents of a snowflake frozen embryo. Uh, their daughter, Hannah, is the subject of the book called A Snowflake Called Hannah, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And uh, it, it's interesting because uh, you, Marlene, you said, was the driver, you know, asking the question, well, what about, you know, what about, what about? And uh, I've got one of those at home too, John, so I can totally relate. I mean, Lisa's whenever, I, I like to say Lisa's the exp explorer and I'm the belayer, you know, when it comes to things like that. What was it like right. for you? What was it like for you when you kind of put two and two together and realized, okay, Marlene is going to be carrying a frozen embryo that was that we've adopted. So she will be biologically giving birth to our adopted daughter and we'll be raising her as a, our own. What was it like for you realizing you've gone through all these years of the emotions of we're not able to have children on our own to now it's this new and different way of doing it. How, how did that strike you as a prospective father in this case? Well, there were, there were two parts to it. I was thrilled that I was going to be a father. So that, yeah. And Marlene was thrilled. She was going to be a mother. So the, yeah. the anticipation was no different than any other couple. And yeah, when the wife is pregnant on the other side of it is this was so new, you know, and, you know, we're trying to explain it to my, elderly parents, for example, <laughs> not sure they ever got it, but they never held it. They, they were as thrilled as could be. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, I mean, they were in their eighties and, and it probably made no sense to them or they were probably confused with it, but they loved Hannah as much as any grandparent loved their own grandkids. Mm. So, but there was that element of trying to explain it to people because nobody had ever done it before. Right. Right. Yep. What was your biggest concern as a prospective dad here with Marlene and the pregnancy and then subsequently Hannah's birth? You know, I didn't really have any concerns. I, I did wonder, you know, I was working for Golf Digest. It just started in 1997 with Digest. We were owned by the New York Times. And I'm jumping around a little bit here, but um, Marlene got, we got called to testify in, in Congress 
about embryonic stem cell research. And, oh, yeah. And uh, when Hannah was two, and I didn't even tell anybody, again, the Gulf Digest was owned by the New York Times, and you know, what the New York Times is like. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't tell anybody. I had, first of all, I had no reason to tell anybody that Hannah was born, you know, as a frozen embryo. But I didn't tell them we were going to Washington, D.C. I thought, nah, this this will fly under the radar. It won't be mm-hmm. covered. And the next day after her testimony, the stories A1 and the New York Times and the Washington Post, the USA Today. And in the New York Times, there was a photo of me holding Hannah. Oh, my. <laughs> well, some of us were keeping that undercover. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I was never trying to keep it secret. It's just, right. uh, uh, you know, I was working for Golf Digest, which is back east, and I, but I was living in Southern California. There was never any reason. It was just, it's my daughter, yeah. you know, period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I got absolutely no negative feedback from anybody at Golf Digest. Um, that, that, you know, and ended up, I'm still working there. I so think that's great. It was all good. I think that's great. When I think about it, you guys have the best witness for the sanctity of human life just by going out to eat or going to church, or being out at the mall, the three of you, and when people find out the story, all of a sudden, I think for, I would imagine there are a lot of women in particular who are pretty passionate about the sanctity of human life. I like to uh, tell this story about my son-in-law, Brian, as uh, we're recording this, he's going to be a dad again in about uh, six weeks, but he was one, but he was, uh, he was uh, kind of sitting on the fence when it came to abortion, when before he married my daughter, Emily, and he's a Bible-believing Christian, but he was like, well, you know, it's not for me, but, you know, if somebody else wants to do it, I'm not going to tell you what to do. And he said, that all went away, the first ultrasound appointment, when they heard their son, now son Isaac's heartbeat. And he said, I burst into tears and said, why would anyone ever want to stop that? And it's, I I could see the smile on your face for those who are watching on uh, myhopenow.com, John, uh, the, the, the reaction, like when you're describing your parents trying to figure out, okay, what is this? For? I don't get it. But the minute Hannah comes bounding into the room, they pick her up and hug her and say, well, this is our granddaughter. I mean, it was it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and back to that point. So now my parents passed away in 2009. And I, I've got the scrapbooks. They cut out everything, all the articles from all the newspapers that were mentioned in Hannah and the wow. Snowflake Embryo Adoption Program. So mm-hmm. even though they might not have understood it, they, they at first they got it and understood that this is a good thing. We use this term snowflake just kind of casually, but that was something you and Marlene came up with. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah, well, we had taken the, our Ron Stoddard, the, our attorney, and it and his wife to a, a play in, uh, down in San Diego, um, part of, I can't remember the name of the theater, but it was Christian-based, where every Christmas they would do an annual um, mm. Christmas dinner show, mm-hmm. uh, based like 100 years earlier. Mm-hmm. And so we took Ron and his wife there, and this is, Hannah's not been born yet, but we're, they're starting to form the program for embryo adoption. And in that play, a, a woman touches it. And I, I don't remember all the details. Marlene we could better tell you, but touches the face of a little blonde haired girl and, so in the, and says in the intricate design of 
I'm going to get the quote wrong now. Of each flake of snow, you find the human creator, something along those lines. And Ron Stoddard and Marlene look at each other, and Ron says, we've got the name of our program, each flake of snowflake embryo adoption program. So mm. that's how that came up. Now they all, you know, everybody uses it, calls them snowflake babies. Yeah, what is, John, what is it like for you um, knowing that you have covered people who are newsmakers, you've covered world changers, you know, from Tim Tebow to Tiger Woods, you, Dusty Baker. I mean, you, you've covered all these people, and yet God has carved out a piece of American history and ultimately world history for you and Marlene. Um, do, do you ever kind of get the feeling, you know, do you have that Joseph moment saying, I need, you know, Gabriel to show up and speak directly to me and let me know if we're doing the right thing? Or what, what was it ever that deep for you guys? Yeah, well, Marlene would have to answer for herself uh, on that. Um, you know, I think when she consulted, you know, like to go before Congress and testify, she asked Dr. Dobson for, you know, his opinion, should she do this? And, and he brought up the example of Esther, you're made for a time like this, do it. Mm -hmm. And that convinced her to do it. Um, even though I've, uh, I'm in a business, was in a business where, you know, you're kind of in the spotlight, even as a writer, I never wanted to be in the spotlight. So that, that part was difficult, but I understood that this was a very important thing to do. And, and I'm glad we did it. Yeah, I am too. And, uh, and, and the world is a better place because Hannah is here. And uh, because you and your wife uh, didn't look at the situation around you and say, well, well, there's no solution. When you look through the eyes of the Lord and you see where God makes a way where there appears to be no way. And now how many thousands of children are with us? And you know, we always talk about the 63, 65 million kids who get aborted. And we don't even yes. think about the, the several hundred thousand more who are frozen embryos. But you guys made a way. Yeah, and it's... A lot of these, a lot of these kids are going to change the world. I mean, obviously it's, you know, we're pro-life family, yeah. you know, Amen. as you are, but, you know, abortion, think of all the, you know, the human toll, a lot of those aborted kids could have ended up finding a cure for cancer. Who knows? But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. praise God for, you know, for what, um, Mar for Marlene having the foresight to to ask the question. Yes, yeah, and and for you uh, for having that Joseph-like faith that said, "Look, if God gave her this vision and this wisdom, I'm all in." You know, and yes, yeah. I mean, I, I don't I, want to compare myself to. to well, I, let me uh, do that. Let me do that. I'll be happy to because when you think about it, if Joseph, if Joseph didn't have the right answer for Gabriel, it's a whole different story. But the fact that in your situation, it was it was parallel to that. I won't say it's similar, but parallel in that God gave her a vision. And if you didn't capture it, we wouldn't be having this conversation and thousands of lives would not be uh, born as a result of that. So, John, I appreciate you, commend you for your uh, your strength and your courage and your vision. Uh, and uh, and you got a really great daughter out of the deal, too. So, I mean, I mean, <laughs> does it get any better than that? Right. No, she's one of she's a great spokesperson for this too. Uh, yeah. And for and pro all pro life issues. So yeah. Well good for her. Well, thank thank you for your time. Always good to get dad's perspective on this um at the end of the day here, because uh, oftentimes that's a part of the uh the sanctity of life story we don't always get to hear. John, 
Stregi has been my guest. The book is called, well, the book about Hannah is called The Snowflake Called Hannah, uh, which we've got tells that story in uh, greater detail. We've got it up at thebottomlineshow.com. And shameless plug here, we'll have John back on in a week or so to talk about his brand new book called In the Big Inning, Where Faith Meets Sports, a Christian sports writer's perspective. The link for that book is up at thebottomlineshow.com as well. John Stregi, thank you so much for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Roger, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Well, that is truly a remarkable story. And uh, today here on The Bottom Line Show, it's been an honor to have John Strakey with me uh, to talk about uh, his daughter, Hannah, her incredible uh, testimony of what a wonderful young woman she is and, uh, and what this means to us in the body of Christ that the Strakeys were found out they weren't able to have kids, were looking to adopt. And that's when Marlene just said, what about all these frozen embryos I'm hearing about? It seemed at that time in the 1990s, Frozen embryos were a huge thing because uh, the number of people who were looking to uh, do in vitro fertilization, they would, the egg and sperm would be uh, basically, you know, would be fertilized in the uh, petri dish, as it were, and the embryos would wait. And then when mom was ready to have the embryos implanted, they would implant plant several and uh, some of them would actually grow and develop and others wouldn't last. But if they had, you know, planned on 10 frozen embryos, they implanted five and three of them became children. A lot of the families said, okay, that's it. We don't need any more. And now at that point, there were over 400,000 frozen embryos. Now there are over a million. And these are basically created human beings that the scientific community would love to get their hands on. And the Stragies stepped in and said, well, how can we start adopting these frozen embryos? And they had to go through the whole rigmarole, get that all set up, and they did. Uh, the whole story is accounted in uh, John's book called A Snowflake Called Hannah. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Today here on Roe v. Wade Day, we are actually giving a copy of the book away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Of course, uh, it was wonderful to see 100,000 people marching in the snow in Washington, D.C. on Friday for the annual March for Life that happens the Friday before Roe v. Wade Day. And then, of course, also to see um, 10,000 or so right here in the Southland in the One Life March uh, that people, you know, kind of braving the elements to march for the sanctity of human life and actually, you know, get beyond the whole, um, you know, we're just here saying end abortion now. Well, I mean, in California, Proposition 1 passed, and so abortion is now constitutionally protected. But how do we in the body of Christ step up and, and speak life into that situation? And I think that uh, sharing the Stregi's example and Melissa Oden, my guest earlier, the author of the uh, book Abor Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence, just to tell the story, but also to listen to people who are going through something similar, who are facing a crisis pregnancy. I, I share these statistics often. I can't stress it enough. 54% of the women who visit abortion clinics are regular attenders of church, if not professing Christians. So the idea that the church is somehow sanctified and squared away from this whole issue, I mean, obviously we're all in the process of being sanctified, um, but that this issue doesn't touch the, touch the church is ridiculous, number one. Number two, abortionists are now saying, well, you know, 60% of the women who have abortions are already mothers. So this isn't like some, you know, teenage girl who got pregnant and blah, blah, blah. You know, well, you're, we know. We, we're very much aware of that. That sex-selective abortion, gender-selective, if you will, is real. And even if it's not being practiced 
in terms of, uh, you know, because it's protected by law. It's a real thing. That couple with four boys and they try for a girl and the mom gets pregnant a fifth time and she has a boy in the oven there, she's waiting for, you know, what do we do? I, do I want another boy? Am I a boy mom? Or are we going to X this one out and try for a girl? Those are real conversations that parents have and grandparents have. And in one case, a dear friend of mine, longtime colleague, uh, his wife uh, has a younger sister. Uh, dad was a pastor. Mom and dad had three kids, got pregnant with the fourth, as I remember the chronology, and people at their church came to them and said, look, pastor, we're not going to give you a raise just to, you know, because you need to have another mouth to feed here. You really need to do something about this. And mom went to get an abortion. Daughter survived the abortion, and now mom and daughter are on the circuit, as it were, speaking out against elective abortion. 90, according to the Charlotte Lozier Institute out of Texas, 97% of abortions that are committed in the United States are done so because of mom saying, I don't want to be pregnant. 2% because of the health of the baby, 1% because of the health of the mother. Notice I didn't say anything about fetal abnormalities or anything of the sort. 97% of abortions in America are elective. In other words, that's a fancy way of saying, I don't want to be pregnant. So what are we going to do about it? Give a donation to preborn is a good way to start. Help women get the information they need. A lot of women make the, inf- the decision to abort a child simply because they don't know. And here we are 51 years ago, the Supreme Court said, go ahead and get an abortion. It's okay. But a year and a half ago, the new Supreme Court said, nah, we got that decision wrong. And so now it's a state's thing. And half the states say abortion is legal and should be protected in the Constitution. And the other half say no. Preborn is helping to change a lot of hearts and minds simply by telling women the truth about what their abortion actually does entail and what their options are so that they don't have to abort their child. Your $28 donation right now will save a baby's life. 85% of the women who go to a preborn clinic um, and have see the ultrasound technology, the pictures, and find out what their options are, either adoption, be a birth mother, or abortion. 85% of the time, they choose life for the child, either to be moms or to release the child for adoption. Norma McCorvey, Jane Roe in the Roe versus Wade decision, adopted her child out. She did not have an abortion. She wanted to get an abortion in Dallas County, Texas. It was illegal in Texas. Her case became the case that became the, she became the poster child. That's Jane Roe versus Henry Wade, who was the Dallas County DA. But a lot of people don't realize that Norma McCorvey did not choose to abort her child. She didn't go to a state where she could have it done. She didn't do some back alley thing to try to become some patron saint for abortion. She gave birth to a child and released that child for adoption. I think there's a more excellent way there, isn't it? And, and that's the way to go. $28 donation. As I mentioned earlier, too, I'm really disappointed that our phones have been so silent from KBRT and KCBC and KNSN and KLDC. I really am. I don't know how else to describe it. We have done such a great job of supporting pre-porn over the years. And since the first of the year, we had three calls the first week of the year and nothing since then. And it's January 22nd. What is it going to take? It's $28. How much did you spend on lunch today? How much did you spend this weekend at Costco? I know I asked myself the same question. Lisa and I, that's why we became recurring supporters of pre-porn. We said, look, we have four grandchildren, right? $28 a month, we'll become recurring givers. We give $28, $112 a month to preborn. 
And in March, when grandchild number five shows up, we'll up it again. And in April, when grandchild number, that's how we do it. You don't even think about it. You look back at your statement, oh, yeah, that's right, we made that donation. But there's a child whose life is hanging in the balance, and your phone call will make all the difference. You're going online to kbrightradio.com and clicking the preborn banner and making a donation will make the difference. It's $28. It's $28. 833-850-BABY is the number to call or go to kbrightradio.com. Final thoughts on the other side of this break. We'll wrap up the show talking about the big game yesterday in Buffalo. And I wanted so badly, we had a little text string going, John Rush's Denver Broncos aren't in the playoffs, but Bottom Line Show has a San Francisco affiliates, so the 49ers are there, Bob Duco's Detroit Lions, and Neil Borland's Buffalo Bills. We were all hoping to all get in the championship games of our respective NFC and AFC divisions. But Neil's Buffalo Bills ran into a little hitch. We're going to talk about that hitch on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. For more than 50 years, Dennis Wilson has been offering better alternatives to what the market offers when it comes to investments like certificates of deposit and real estate investment trust. Dennis's 3D account pays even better than market interest rate. Here's Dennis to explain. So what is a 3D account and how does it work? A 3D account is a real estate-backed investment without Wall Street risk. It pays an amazing interest of 7% for the next three years. At the end of three years, you can take your money out, so you can see it's definitely not a REIT, or you can reinvest it at 7% in a new program. Go ahead and call today and ask about the 7% account, and then while you're on the phone, and ask about our accounts that pay even higher amounts for funds over 250000 Learn more about Dennis Wilson's 3D Money account, the better alternative to the Real Estate Investment Trust. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial, simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, a super sanctity of life day. And of course, we're taking your calls at 800-227-5278. Today, the 51st commemoration of the passage of Roe versus Wade. And it's been great to have Melissa Oden, an abortion survivor, uh, talking about her book, Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence, which we've got up at thebottomlineshow.com. And also John Stregge, the father of the first test tube baby adopted, well, not test tube baby, frozen embryo who was adopted. And um, his book, A Snowflake Called Hannah, is just, it's a remarkable read. John's also a sports writer. And he's got a new book coming out called The Big In In the Big Inning, which is about Christians and faith and sports and things like that. And I want to wrap up today's program by taking a look at what's been happening in the NFL over the weekend. Um, there were a couple of big games that happened. The uh, 49ers beat the Packers and the Lions beat Tampa Bay. So now Detroit is going to be taking on the 49ers in San Francisco next weekend. Um, and of course, Bob Duco and I will be jawing with each other about this because of Bottom Line Show airing in the San Francisco area on KCBC. And of course, Bob being at WMUZ for 25 years and the Lions are doing things they never thought they'd do. They haven't been in the playoffs in 30 years and now they're in the NFC Championship game. So we'll we'll have a good, uh, a good chuckle over that. Of course, I, I'm counting on the faithful in Christ arm of Brock Purdy, uh, the 49ers to overtake the uh, Lions. We'll see what happens. But I, was, I sent a, th- a text out uh, yesterday to John and Neil and Bob. And I said, hey, guys, you know, Bob's in the finals. And he goes, yeah, we'll have to trash talk each other about the 49ers versus the Lions. But it was halftime in the Buffalo Bills-Kansas City Chiefs game. 
And if you watch the game, I said, come on, Neil, got to get your bills in here, too, so we can really have a good time. And it didn't happen. Tyler Bass <laughs> came down, minute 49 left. Uh, they're down by three, need a field goal to tie to send it in overtime. And, well, you know the deal, how that turned out. He went wide to the right. Uh, was it 31 years earlier, uh, or 32 years earlier, Doug Norwood, or Scott Norwood, rather, um, in the Super Bowl, wide right. And I started thinking about Norwood because I remember reading an article about him in Sports Illustrated back in, was it 2016 or something like that, maybe 2014, about how his life had changed so dramatically since that time and how he'd learned to take it in stride and he was a very beloved guy. I I started thinking about the time I met Jim Kelly and his wife, uh, Jill, and their daughters, Aaron, and I can't remember the other daughter's name. We were at the International Christian Retail Show in Orlando in 2012. And Jim was talking about those teams. That Super Bowl in 1991, Giants beating the Bills 20 to 19. That was the Whitney Houston, you know, uh, uh, Star Spangled Banner thing that just set everybody on. We were on edge as to whether or not we were going to go to war in the Persian Gulf. And I remember talking to Jim Kelly about those, those guys. And he said, you know, the four years in a row, we went to the Super Bowl and lost. And he says, I, would, I wouldn't trade those years for anything. Obviously, you wanted to win. He says, but I have four runner-up rings, and those guys are the best guys I ever played with. I mean, they were amazing. Scott Norwood, they were incredible. He said, I would go to war with those guys any moment. And now that Jim is a baptized believer in the Lord, I'm sure that that's a part of his testimony. But as I thought about, you know, Tyler Bass and Wide Right and Jim Nance, boy, talk about iconic calls. When Al Michaels was calling the Super Bowl back in 1991 in in Florida, and people forget that the Giants were the underdog the Giants held the ball for, I mean, Buffalo hardly, it was like 41 minutes time possession for the Giants, 19 for Buffalo. Buffalo is heavily favored. And yet to come down to the end of the game and Norwood's kick could have given Buffalo the championship 22 to 20. Instead, it sailed wide, wide right. And as Jim Nance had the presence of mind when Tyler Bass kicked that ball to say, the kick is up and it's wide right. Then he goes, boy, wide right. I mean, one of the most infamous phrases in all of Buffalo sports history. I thought, oh, that's just heartbreaking. So here we are again, the Bills. I mean, this this was going to get them into the AFC Championship game. I mean, it's certainly not the Super Bowl. But it got me thinking about that Super Bowl in 1991. And there's something else besides that missed kick, though, that I think is even more iconic. And I want to talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Bottom line show listeners have been so supportive of Preborn and I appreciate you and I know that Preborn does as well. Preborn is the pregnancy resource center that offers women uh, options and offers women the truth when it comes to an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy. Now, if you were expecting pregnancy and you want to get a free ultrasound, you can go to a preborn clinic as well. It's very easy to do. And every time we donate $28 to the cause, that provides one free ultrasound appointment for someone who may or may not have the means to handle this. Now, Terry in Cathedral City recently called in a $1,000 donation. Thank you so much, Terry, for, uh, for giving us that call, especially out of the Coachella Valley. Also, Dennis in Los Angeles called in a $28 donation. Thank you, Dennis, for that $28. And also, I want to say thanks to Diane in San Diego, a $500 donation. Every $28 you provide 
means one more ultrasound visit for a woman who might be deciding between whether or not to keep the pregnancy or to keep the child. We are pro-child. 85% of the women who go to preborn and see the ultrasound choose life for their preborn child. And you can give a tax-deductible donation online today to support that cause. Go to kbrightradio.com and look for the preborn banner. Click the banner and make your best donation today. Welcome back to the special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh as we commemorate the past, the 51st anniversary of the passage of Roe versus Wade. Of course, we commemorate also the uh, the 65 million plus babies who we've never met this side of eternity, but we will meet in heaven one day um, because of that horrific uh, decision. And knowing now that in half of the states in the United States, abortion is illegal. On the other half, battle lines have been drawn. It's constitutionally protected. But my thanks to John Strakey and Melissa Oden for joining me today to talk about this issue. Uh, final thought about the Buffalo versus Kansas City game yesterday. The Bills lost because their kicker, Tyler Bass, attempted a field goal with about a minute and 40 left in the game. It looked to start out right down the center of the, uh, the uh, uprights, and then it just veered to the right. And Jim Nance, the announcer for CBS Sports, said, wide right, one of the most infamous phrases in Buffalo sports history. Yeah, that reminds us of Scott Norwood in the Super Bowl in 1991. But you know what also I remember about that Super Bowl back in 91 was not that the Giants completely held on to the ball so Buffalo really couldn't score. 41 to 19 in terms of minutes of time of possession. And that Norwood had kicked a field goal that got them into the Super Bowl. But rather was at the end of the game. Because members of the Giants and members of the Bills gathered, I believe, in the end zone, one of the end zones, and knelt in prayer. And that was kind of had become a trend throughout the course of the season in regular season games. But to my recollection, it was the first time in Super Bowl history that players of faith from both sides of the aisle gathered in a circle and demonstrated to the world what was really important. And I hope for Tyler Bass and anybody else that has a missed kick or anybody else who's political party doesn't win the election or whatever, that we would remember the image of those men, those gladiators who were fighting on literally the biggest television stage in the world that year. More people watched the Super Bowl than anything else. And to see a bunch of grown men who had been fighting in battle for 60 minutes on the gridiron to try to win the Super Bowl, coming together as brothers in Christ and saying, win or lose, we are all brothers. We are all part of the body of Christ. May we look for more examples like that to show in the culture, and may we be those people who are united in Christ, unified in our common faith over any other differences we might have in the culture. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.